Hello, my wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary. I'm minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I'm also your presenter every Tuesday and Wednesday. But this week... This week, I also get to be your presenter on Monday and Thursday. So I've got a very full week. So uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, I'll be with you. I am really looking forward uh, to uh, to being able to spend the time with you. Uh, That's because our our good friends, my good mates, uh, who normally help me out there, uh, are gone across to the East Coast, uh, to Avondale University, where there's a a major uh, ministerial uh, meetings uh, taking place for the entire week but they've left me behind uh, just to care uh, just to share on our drive time program and uh, I am so pleased uh, to be able to spend the time with you now this week uh, we're going to be asking if God is all loving and all powerful why doesn't he fix the problem of pain now, this is a really big one. Uh, this is one there where so many people have struggled with this, with this issue. Uh, so many uh, who are non-Christians even bring this question up almost as an accusation against Christian people. Uh, today, we're actually going to start looking at that question because we're going to be looking at that theme all this week but today we're going to ask a question uh, how did a perfect creation get so ugly uh, I think you're really going to enjoy our program today now today our co-host is uh, Pastor Brenton Wilkinson now Brenton has just moved into retirement uh, after recently functioning as the regional pastor to the Seventh-day Adventist churches down in the Mount Gambier region that's a very beautiful part of uh, of our state now welcome to you Brenton thank you and it's a real privilege to be here uh, it, it really is good to have you. I know you were appreciated of all you were able to share last week, and it's wonderful to have you uh, back uh, back with us again. Tell us Looking something. Looking forward to it. Uh, you're you're just moving into into retirement. Um, have you got any plans for your uh, for your retirement? Well, at the moment, we're uh, sorted our house out to a reasonable degree, and uh, from there. We are planning to go on holidays next month, Gary, to Western Australia for a fortnight. My wife hasn't been to the southwest of Western Australia, a bit like the southeast where I came from, a very beautiful part of God's creation yeah, here yeah, in Australia. Yeah. Southwest Western Australia is lovely. So we're going to spend a bit of time there. We'll do a bit of travelling. At the moment, uh, that's how retirement looks. Um, I'm taking preaching appointments as I'm asked and I'm in a position to fill them and uh, I'm finding that's sufficient after uh, three years in the southeast. Because you were full-time during that period, weren't you, down down there in ministry? Probably about 140,000 k's of driving in three years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Last year I looked up, and this is, I guess, of general interest. Most ministers preach. You expect that. Uh, Last year, I did 96 sermons and Sabbath school lessons or uh, lessons during the year. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and uh, by the end of the year, I was uh, <laughs> the well was running dry. That means most weeks you're actually doing certainly more <laughs> uh, than pretty well every week. I every think week, I, yeah. I think I only had three weeks off in the whole year. Yeah. I uh, look. I love ministry. I'm still very much devoted to it, but there comes a time where I said to my wife, "We've got to slow down a bit." Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand exactly what you're what Have you're I saying lost there. The passion for ministry, not at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's very true what you're what you're saying there. Look, let's just come to because I'd love to. I've got an article today that uh, certainly comes from the religious press. This one comes yeah, from uh, one. Uh, the religious press in uh, in the United Kingdom. This is Premier Christian News, and it's talking about uh, uh, the the results of the the census. Another a batch of information has just come out just in the last couple of days. Uh, the article's entitled "A Church." needs to wake up says youth charity uh, as the average age of Christians is over 50 for the first time ever now this is what the article said and I'd like to get you your feedback on a sure. couple of points yeah. in you know in this let's do it for the first time ever in Christian history the average age of people who identify as a Christian in England and Wales is over 50 Wow. New data from the Office of Natural National Statistics reveals that the median age of people who describe themselves as Christian in 2021 was 51. This is an increase from 45 in the previous census. Now, that's a huge ageing in just a, a very short period of time. It is, Gary. And as you know, in a couple of weeks' time, we're doing a national church life Census. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be very interesting what to see how we compare. What would be really interesting there is not just look at how many people turn up at church on a given Sabbath, but the ages, the age profile of them. Indeed, indeed. that'd be extremely interesting. Yeah. I, I was interested in just keeping reading this article. Muslims have the average, uh, an average youngest age of just twenty-seven. Uh, that's interesting. I find that interesting. I'll tell you why. Because I've been to a Muslim mosque in Jordan. Yeah. Yeah. And I talked to the imam there. Uh, I saw a lot of young people while I was yep. over there, yep. very yep. westernised yep. in some ways. Um, many of them had the hijab, uh, but they had western watches, mobile phones, yep. Yep. all the rest of it. Yep. And I said to him, on a given Friday, and you have your worshippers come to the mosque, what age profile are they? And he said, they're mostly old people. He said, we don't get any young people, yeah, very few yeah. young and people. And yet in Britain, it's something. So this, must, uh, this is skewed. I mean, the average age 27, I'm not debating it, yes. but I'm asking where is the profile taken from, Britain? This is certainly Britain. This is certainly Britain. But is this worldwide? No, this Possibly is Britain. Not. This is Britain. Okay, yep. right. okay let me just uh, read to you uh, some of the, the comments that came back. Uh, Danny Webster, Director of Advocacy for the Evangelical Alliance, mm-hmm. told Premier he thinks that the way people are labelling themselves has a lot to do with the way the figures have panned out. My suspicion is that what we're seeing is people no longer do it by default. I'm British. I was Christian. Christian. Uh, I went to the Church of England uh, school. Um, therefore, on the census, I put I'm Christian. Yep. Whereas now, people tend to say uh, they're, uh, if they say that they're a Christian, it reflects their beliefs. It reflects their practice. Actually... What we've seen in other surveys is what uh, the comment continues that we've done over the past few years is that this is actually staying pretty constant. Now, this is this I find is really interesting that's coming up. You're talking about nine or ten percent of people that attend church once a month. So in our community, nine or ten percent 
will attend church at least once a month, and you're talking 6 or 7% who are practicing Christians who read the Bible moderately regularly, who pray, and that number hasn't really changed in the last 8 or 10 years. Now, look, Brenton, one of the things I'm really just interested in here, it mentions that 6 or 7% mm. of the population are yeah, practicing Christians. What what would you say is in fact the best measure of a practicing Christian? You know, I mean, is church attendance a good measure of a practicing Christian? It's a good measure, but it's not the only measure. Uh, okay, open that out a bit more. There's too much focus, I think, uh, in these surveys sometimes on church attendance. Look, I recognise the importance of church attendance and I believe that it is vitally important. But there are Christians, I can tell you for a fact, there are people that I know who don't attend church regularly, who study God's word, who have an active prayer life. And these are some of the people that I think we need to broaden this a bit. And um, there are people out there who... Maybe they don't go to church every week, but they're on fire for the Lord and they're sharing uh, Jesus with other people. And I'm conscious, actually, Brenton, that that would include a, a fair number of our listeners, actually, because I so. I, I, I've actually yeah, had I people so. walk in in my church and uh, they they say, hey, look, you know, just just love to, to meet us. And it's always a privilege to, uh, yeah. to, to meet, uh, meet these yeah. individuals. But uh, they're not connected to any church. And yet when you talk to them, you know that they're actually praying individuals, they spend time in the Word of yes. God. Yeah. Uh, you and know, they're sharing it as well. And they're sharing it as well. I mean, that really says something to me. Yeah, it does. Do you think do you think there might become might be starting to be a bit of a a reaction to the institutional church? Uh, possibly there is. On by the same token, if we use the example um, you're stretching my thinking a bit here, but that's good. I think <coughs> When we deal with the subject of church attendance or non-church attendance, you've met people and I've met people who claim that they're Christians yeah. or claim that they want to be baptised yep. but they don't want to belong to a church. A church, indeed. They just want to be baptised into Christ. Yes. Now, my answer to that would be, well, if you look at Jesus' example in the Synoptic Gospels and the book of John, you will find that Christ went to church every week. Yeah. Was yeah. it just tradition and custom? No, I believe it was deeper than that. After all, he it was something that flowed of out of his heart, yeah, wasn't it? it? Was so, so really, when you're dealing with this issue of 6 to 7% practicing Christians, a practicing Christian to me is one who loves the Lord above all things. Okay. And that flows out of them because if you love the Lord above all things, you can't hold it back. It means that you will want to worship with his people. You will want to, you will want to pray. You won't want to become an island. Indeed. <laughs> so Indeed. to speak, you will want to worship with God's people because you'll have something to share with them. Yep. And they, even if they've got nothing to share with you, you can share with them. And by sharing with them, it might shall we say, fan into life some dormant sparks. Indeed. Of people have been in the church for years, never told anybody about God or ever done a Bible study or anything of that nature, and someone comes along who's on fire for the Lord. It has an infectious effect upon everybody. Yeah, yeah. Look, let me just keep going with this article because there yeah, are some other it, things that, it, that, that jumps out at me. Uh, the new figures show that out of the 27.5 million people, uh, this is in Britain, 
who said they're Christian in 2021, 29% were aged 65 or over. Now, that's almost a third wow. uh, in uh, uh, in 2021. But in 2011, just 10 years earlier, it was up from, it was 22.3. So it's gone from 22.3% of the population to 29% of the population are over 65 in uh, in just a matter of, of 10 years. Now, look, uh, this is a real ageing-type demographic. Now, Brenton, in the churches that uh, like that you've attended, that I mean, your churches, are they ageing? Yes and no. You can That's go, a good answer. <laughs> you can go to churches where uh, the age profile is probably similar to what's being said here, <laughs> 65 and over. I'd question these. I'd, I'd really like to know about the survey because the people who did it 10 years ago were 55 then. Yeah, yeah. So if it's the same people who are being surveyed 10 years later. Well, this is a, a and general. They're saying, and they're saying that the age profile of Christians in Britain has changed. Yeah. Well, of course, they're 10 years older. Yep, yep. If, but if, the percentage, the thing that's <coughs> significant here, I think, is that the percentage has actually increased because you would expect that some have probably died in that 10 years. Uh, uh, but possibly the, so. But, but the percentage yeah. of, uh, of people who are, uh, who are senior, who yes. are practicing Christians yeah. has actually increased. And to me, as I, as I look at this, I, I say, hey, look, you know, uh, this is certainly something that, uh, I know is impacting many churches, but yes. significantly, it's not all churches. I, I I know that I've certainly over at uh, my church at at Brighton. I mean, we have got a. Uh, I, I'm coming up to retirement, and I probably would classify myself as one of the one of the seniors right. uh, of In of that church. particular church. Yeah, yeah I would. Yeah. The majority of the church would certainly be far younger yeah. uh, than what I what I actually well, am. Well, let me share the uh, profile, maybe of say Mount Gambier in the south. Yeah, please do. Was pastor. Um, Mount Gambier probably has, when everybody's there, about 50 people attend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they all old? Not at all. I would say that I'm starting to think. I reckon you could count the number of people who are over 65 in that church on the fingers of one hand. Yeah, yeah, yep, um, yep. We have a number of African families worshipping with us down yep. there, which we're very, very thankful for. Uh, and... Um, Two families there have seven children each. Yeah, yeah. So this pushes the profile, the age profile of the church down straight away. It does. Look, Brent, um, let's just – let, time's getting away from us. Yeah, let's yeah, just come to this issue of um, uh, of the youth in, in the church because this is – one last commentator uh, says this, and i just like to get your feedback on it. Sure. One commentator uh, did admit that the church needs to seriously prioritise getting the gospel to youth. The church needs to wake up, they say, and make mission and outreach to young people a priority, he said. The church just needs to shift its resources and make uh, them our focus. It's what Jesus did when he decided that he was going to change the world. He found a youth group 
they were a bunch of young lads, his disciples. Now, of course, that, that's very true because he himself was only in his early 30s. He was sure. a young man even sure. when he was crucified. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to wake up to the potential of young people, put our resources, put our finance, pray like mad, get out into the schools um, uh, and uh, have mission to young people and relevantly communicate the gospel. The gospel works. We're seeing it work for young people. We just need God's people to make that an absolute focus and priority in my opinion. Now, look, Brenton, just help me out here. Uh, this uh, this statement, I believe, is really significant. Look, do more resources and more finance automatically lead to the, the attraction of young people? Not necessarily. Um, okay, open that out a bit more. I'm going to quote uh, what I said to you off air. Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> On air. The message to the uh, Church of Laodicea, which is the last one found in the book of Revelation, it says you are rich and increased in goods and have need of nothing. I'm going to You re- say this. Yeah, you, you say, say that I'm rich and increased yep, in yep, goods. Yep. I'm going to rephrase that and say you say I'm rich and increased in resources and programs and have need of nothing. Resources and programs are not the end in themselves. They're a means to an end. Yeah. I believe... Uh, the bottom line for young people, and I'll give you an example because I know we're running out of time, but Lurleen and I used to run a Bible study program every second Friday night in our home. We would have tea together and then we would study the Bible. Yep, yep. And we had some truly wonderful mm. programs, uh, Bible studies with youth between the age of 15 and about 30. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, look, they're, they're hungering for the word of God, yeah. the bread of life, and how it applies to them. Yeah. Programs aren't necessarily going to meet that goal, yeah. Yeah. but they're, they're a means to an end, but not the end in yeah. itself. Yeah. I, I know in my own case, I suppose, <laughs> the thing that really jumps out at me is that the depth of spirituality, when young people pick up a genuinely spiritual lifestyle, yes. it, it is transformative yes. in how they actually live their life. The other thing that to me, must go along with that, is actually this issue of mentoring. Yes. Uh, because uh, yes. T- to me, it's as um, uh, when a young person has a mentor, if ever there is a need today for young people to actually have a mentor, someone who can get not beside someone, them. Not someone appointed by the church. No, just, no, that's right. Just someone that they look up to in the church. That's it. It could be someone who's 85 years of age. It might be someone who's 45 years exactly. of age. Exactly. It might be someone who's 30. For someone to be able to put their yeah. arm around them and just simply say, "Hey, I'm, I've got your back," you yeah. know, "I've got yeah, your I've back," got you, back. you know, and to me, when I look at that, I say, "Hey, uh, you know, the depth of spirituality with a mentor uh, who is able to present the word of God in a powerful way, uh, I think it's just, it's just so the greatest need." Today, Can I suggest this goes back to another issue, and I don't know whether it's covered here, but the issue is this. You must, and I repeat, you must have Bible-based sermons. If you have Bible-based preaching, young people will tune in. They may appear to be disinterested playing with their mobile phones. Some of them, of course, have got the Bible app on on them and that sort of thing. But you would be amazed. Well, probably not. (laughs) Often you think, oh, they're gazing around the room. They're, um, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, then next week they'll say, you said in your sermon last week, da-da-da-da. Yeah, yeah. I I love being able to (laughs) preach to young people, particularly when their eyes are just 
totally, totally glued. Yeah, yeah. Look, let's come to some music. We do need to move on. This is this is Evie. Live for Jesus. What a powerful message there is in this particular song. Please enjoy Evie Tornquest. Live for Jesus. Is Evie live for live live for Jesus? What a what a beautiful song that uh, that really is. That really takes me back just a few years. I think back to uh, uh, to my days at uh, at college, and uh, uh, it was uh, it was certainly one of the featured songs in uh, in those days. Now, folks, look, we do have a giveaway uh, book uh, for you today. Now, this book is entitled Finding Calm 
in the chaos of life. Now, this is a real little beauty. Um, if you aim for a joyful, balanced life and wish to have total health, even in the imperfection of this world, then why not follow Jesus' suggestion? Remain in me and I will remain in you. A growing body of scientific evidence indicates that faith, prayer, hope, forgiveness and trust are beneficial to our physical and emotional health. Dr. Julian Melgosa uses biblical examples and personal illustrations to demonstrate how essential it is that we partner with Christ in dealing with the all-too-human experiences of depression, anger, guilt and stress. Abiding in Jesus, being the ultimate connection with him, is the way to foster spiritual growth. Now, look, this... Uh, Sounds like a don't-miss book. This book is a real little, little beauty. Finding calm in the chaos of life. Yes. Now, look, if you would like uh, your uh, your own copy of Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life, all you need to do is to text us here on our studio text number. Now, that number now is 04888 808 80811 and all you need to do is to text us the code SA101 101 SA101 no gap between the SA and the 101 just put five digits uh, in a row uh, text them to 04888808811 and uh, uh, that will go straight through to our robot and uh, he's an intelligent robot. Well, actually, he's a dumb robot. He's not real smart at all. <laughs> but uh, uh, but he will he will contact you, get some information off you, uh, so that we can get this book to you in the fastest way possible. Sounds that, good. The number again is oh four triple eight eight oh eight eleven, and uh, uh, the book is Finding Calm in the Chaos of life and the uh, the code is SA101 it's a real little beauty now you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary and today our co-host is Brenton Wilkinson and Brenton has just moved into retirement after functioning as the pastor in the South East region of South Australia and this week we're dealing with a subject that has really intrigued so many people. This week we're asking if God is a God who is all loving and all powerful why doesn't he fix the problem of pain? And with all this week we're going to be digging into this uh, this subject but today we're asking how did a perfect creation get so absolutely ugly you know a little while ago I was uh, I actually had the privilege of uh, having a look at a book uh, that was actually dealing with this subject of uh, of suffering there are many of them out there but uh, uh, within that particular book uh, the author shared a, a story and uh, this is what 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 he said a former colleague of mine in her mid 30s discovered she had ovarian cancer on the day her second child was born that's a bad one. It's a bad one. Sharon Harris began treatment immediately, and for several weeks later, uh, several weeks later, I got a letter that she and her husband Jim uh, sent to their friends and relatives uh, to tell them how things were going. The letter reported on the progress of her illness and the medical care she was receiving. It described the way their lives had changed. It told the how the two of them, their children, their parents were coping with all the challenges that they were facing. 
the letter also mentioned some of the things that people had said to them when they heard about Sharon's illness. Now, this was the thing that really jumped out at me. They said things like, everything happens for a purpose. They said, God is testing your faith. Then they said things like, God never sends us more than we can bear. All these statements reflected the conviction that their situation was something that fits nicely within God's plan. However well-meaning the speakers were, Jim and Sharon didn't find these statements all that helpful. In fact, they found them deeply troubling. The letter closed with this paragraph. We almost, we also must feel that we I must say without reservation that we believe this experience is not God's will. We understand that we live in a world full of evil and we accept that. However, to suggest that God is somehow responsible or involved uh, implies that God is harsher than any of you. The scriptures suggest that Jesus could not pass any suffering without stopping to alleviate that pain. That's right. Since God is even more loving than us, we could not wish this experience even on our worst enemy. We understand God to be working in the healing process, certainly not in the process that resulted in cancer. Jim and Sharon's letter raised one of the most important questions people can ask on our topic. Does suffering take place inside or outside of God's will? Is suffering something God wants for us, or is it opposed to God's purposes? You know, Brenton, when I read that, I I, I sort of thought, hey, you know, this is is very, very powerful, because I, I don't know about you, but, you know, as a pastor, I've I've had to sit at the bedside of many uh, mm-hmm. sick and, yep. and dying people. Yep. Have you found the same thing? Yes, I used to do hospital chaplaincy work when I was here in Adelaide. Prior to shifting to the southeast, I've sat around the bedside of many a person who's terminally ill. Wow, yeah. Usually yeah. what I do in a situation like that, particularly when it's getting really, really, shall we say, to a critical point where the loved one is uh, about to um, pass away, I pray. Yeah. You would expect that. But what mm. I pray is I pray for two things. Mm. I pray that God will forgive their sins and give them a home in heaven. They're yeah. the only two things that matter at that light. Yeah. doesn't matter what car you drive. doesn't matter where you live, how many uh, social media contacts you've got on Facebook or, yeah. or yeah. real time yeah. or whatever. It matters not at all. What is the most important thing that matters at that time when your life is slipping away? Are you right with Jesus? Will you see him again when he comes in the clouds? Yeah, yeah. You know, Brenton, one of the things I'm just really, really conscious of is that um, this this issue that you've certainly uh, experienced at the bedside, I've certainly experienced as well, it really says to me that this subject is far more than something theoretical. There's incredible oh, practical reality in, in mm-hmm. this subject. Yep. And it's one that, to me, I don't want to gloss over it as being, I suppose, something that is uh, just simply a theoretical uh, in in providing our answers, but rather it has to actually answer the very real human human need. Do you know what, Gary? One of the uh, cruelest things that you can say, and some well-meaning Christians have said this, 
to people who are suffering terminal illnesses, if you had more faith, God would heal you. Yeah, yeah. You hear the statement, it is always God's will to heal you. Well, if you study the book of James, chapter 5, where it talks about anointing the sick in the yeah, name of the yeah. Lord, the Greek word for it is sozo. Yeah. It can mean saving as in a physical sense, yeah. but it can also mean saving in a spiritual sense. Yeah. Of the people that I've attended bedsides, I would have to say many of them have gone to sleep. Yeah. But they've gone to sleep with the knowledge the surety that Jesus is their saviour and that when he comes again, they will rise to meet him. This is, this is good. Look, let me just, let, let's start digging into our subject. Now, of course, sure. today we're, we're dealing with this, uh, uh, with this whole, uh, whole issue of, uh, you know, how did a perfect creation, you know, we've got a God who in the book of Genesis, uh, is described as having created a, a perfect creation. Mm-hmm. How did it get so ugly? Help us out. Well, in chapter 1 and verse 30, it says that God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. Now, the rest of the uh, first chapter of Genesis, he talks in there about at the end of each day, God saw what he had made and behold, it was good. Mm -hmm. Basically, what you start from is a premise. When we discuss this subject during this week, Gary, we got to start from the premise that God created a world that was perfect. Mm. So if God created a world that was perfect, you ask yourself the question, what went wrong? Something happened. Yes, yeah, something happened. How did it go wrong? Mm. Who did it go wrong with? Yeah. And what caused it? Mm-hmm. Uh, in chapter 3, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but in chapter 3, God had said to them in chapter 2, verse 17, you're free to eat of all the fruit of the trees of the garden. But he did say this. In chapter 2 and verse 17, before we get there, he made this comment. He said, um, you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, here's something for you and I and our listeners to consider. What is die? Mm -hmm. They did not know what die was. Yeah. Yeah, They were created, and the Bible suggests that we were created to live forever, mm. but it was conditional immortality. Mm. Faithful to what God said, you have eternal life. The tree of life, as it were, rejuvenates you, re- replenishes you every day. Um, it's interesting, actually, Brent, that you actually <laughs> use that particular text because, uh, you know, it's sort of some people have said, you know, God said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, yeah. um, at the, yep. it, if you actually go into the into the Hebrew, um, it's it's actually slightly slightly different. There's a different nuance there. Yes, it actually, there is. It actually tell us what does it actually mean? Well, uh, maybe you explain it a bit yeah, more right, than me well, because I'm jumping to the next text. Yeah, so. okay. <laughs> uh, look, that particular text. I mean, if if you look at the nuance of the Hebrew, what it actually actually means is uh, dying. Thou shalt shall die. die. Yes, so, in other yes. words, on the day that you eat of it, you're dying, going to you commence the process of dying. Of dying. Now, that's a process. That God, God didn't say to Adam and Eve, "You're going to be. I'm going to strike you dead on the day." No, no he didn't say that. There was some sort of change that happened mm. within humanity that commenced a process mm-hmm. that led to this thing called okay. death. In chapter five, verse five, it says this: Altogether, Adam lived a total of nine hundred and thirty years, huge, and then yeah. he died. Then he died. Then he died. He began to die the day he sinned, yeah. but he died. But the first example of death 
and you ask what what went wrong well one of the some of the consequences of sin if you go back to chapter 3 the first thing that happened after they took the fruit that he told them not to take is they realized they were naked mm-hmm. and uh when God came calling and said, Adam, where are you? Now, that, that in itself is interesting. Uh, it's not a game of hide and seek. We're not playing mm, uh, mm. peekaboo, which tree are you behind? Uh, yeah. or which bush are you behind? God is saying, what have you done? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You can't fool God. God made them so he knew. He wanted them to admit what they had done. What did Adam do? The woman you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. Now, the, the blame game began. The blame game. And this is so is important. Is the blame game prominent in 2023? Oh, look, you know, I mean, the whole of society <clears throat> today, you know, you look at the calls for justice. What's it got at its root? It's got as its root the blame game. It has I indeed. am not to blame for I'm this, blame but for rather... He out there, they out there are to blame for the situation that I'm in. Absolutely. That's the first thing as a result of Adam and Eve making a decision that went against God. God said the very day that you start to, um, you eat of the fruit, you're going to start this process of death. And the first conversation after that, they're talking to God and uh, what comes in but the blame game. The woman you gave me, and what did she say? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Now, here are some of the consequences of sin. Guilt. The very first thing is guilt. After all, the Bible says in uh, chapter 2, and at the, right at the end of that, that the man and his wife were naked mm-hmm. and felt no shame. So one of the very first things that sin introduces is guilt. Do we still have guilt today? Mm. I, I think we have a whole industry today in society trying to either alleviate guilt or place it somewhere else. Yeah. yeah. How often do you hear in the media um, somebody who's committed a truly horrendous crime, he came from a poor background? mm now, that is a contributing factor, and I am not unsympathetic to people who have yeah, come from that. Yeah, so yeah. I don't want any listener to misunderstand me. Yeah. But by the same token, these are choices that people make. Yeah. And one of the things that happened, I believe, as a result of sin is what man before Saul was good, he now had a disrelish for. What sin has done, I believe, has turned us from focusing Otherwise, it would be fair to say, would it not, if we still had that desire to be with God, we still had that desire to spend time in his presence, everybody would be at church every week instead of 10% of Australians. In other words, what there's been is a change in the way that people think. Um, you know, to, to me, that is really significant because, uh, you know, if in fact, uh, so much of my life is bound up in the way that I think, uh, if I am thinking negative thoughts, in all probability, depression is going to be the, oh, uh, the end of the, the story. Depression's the end of the journey. Yeah. And how many people are suffering from depression today? Yeah. We have not seen, and I'm going, going to make this and put it out there. We have not seen, even begun to see, I believe, the results of COVID-19 and the effect it's having upon the psyche of Australians. Now, one of the interesting things I did a study recently uh, on Victoria 
And one age bracket, one of the biggest age brackets in Victoria, where I think they'd had eight suicides over a period of time, was the 16 to 19 year age bracket. Mm, mm, mm. Now, all of that is still to extrapolate into people suffering mental health issues and beyond that, breakdowns. And how are we going to deal with all of that? And I think, I think, Brent, it's not just the, the mental health issues. You know, as I sort of look at, you know, what's happening over in Russia and Ukraine at the moment, <laughs> you know, where Don't does, <laughs> where does wars and fightings yep. actually come from? Well, yep. according to the okay. scriptures, the wars and fightings actually come from within uh, the individual. They do. What is it that breaks down the relationship? It's actually the, what's inside the individual. Now, uh, to me, this is actually Really important. We're going to get this. To, important. We're going to get to this later in the in the week because uh, what this means is that um, what is inside of me now, as a result of the um, of the change in humanity's nature at the very beginning, yes. actually changes the way that I think and the way that I act. Yeah, that's true. Um, there was an interesting statistic too that I thought I would share with people. Over the last 3,400 years of recorded history, there have only been 268 years where the planet has been at peace. In other words, when there are no wars (laughs) operating anywhere. Stay tuned. 2023, as you sit here or drive in your car and you're listening to this program, there are 10 wars going on worldwide at the present time. 10. The only one we hear anything about is Ukraine, where so far, according to the latest estimates, they believe over 200,000 Russian and Ukrainian soldiers have been killed and 30,000 civilians. For what? Most wars are fought, believe it or not, over land, Mm -hmm. over the issues of land. Putin believes that... uh, Ukraine is part of Russia and uh, it shouldn't even exist. Mm. End of story. Anyway, we're not going there. And of course, Brenton, one war has come about because of sin. And of course, (laughs) Brenton, what we've actually got there is another example of pain and hurtate, heartache and suffering. I mean, to me, on a massive scale, it's very easy for us to sort of quantify it in, uh, in numbers and say, oh, there's been 120,000 people killed from Russia. There's probably been the same amount uh, killed from the other side. But you know, to me, I I look at them and say, hey, you know, every one of those people is someone's son. Or daughter. Someone's daughter. Or child. It's someone's child. Or mother. A, or father. It, you know, or you look at this and you say, hey, you know, the, yeah. the, the, the impact of this Absolutely. and the heart and the yeah. pain and the suffering, you know, and this brings right it on. back to our question, yeah. you know, why, why does it exist? And uh, today we're just sort of looking at that question and we say, hey, look we're back there at the beginning, a change took place. And to me, yeah. this starts to explain a little bit about why uh, the uh, the issue of pain and suffering is so real to us today. But, Brenton, look, we do have to come to some music because our time is getting away uh, from us. Uh, let's come to the Petersons. This is I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. This is a wonderful, like a piece. a wonderful piece of uh, music. Please, uh, please enjoy the Petersons. I Know Who Holds Tomorrow. I don't know about tomorrow It's sky. 
Uh, what a beautiful thought that is. I know who holds tomorrow. Guys, I, I'm just so pleased. You know, I have someone who I know is holding my tomorrow. And, uh, you know, as I, as I read the scriptures, as I read the word, I see such incredible hope, uh, in, uh, in that, uh, in that book. Now, look, folks, we do have a giveaway book for you today. This is a real little beauty. Uh, finding calm in the chaos of life. If you aim for a joyful, balanced life and wish you had total health, even in the imperfection of this world, then why not follow Jesus' suggestion? And this book opens that up. Finding calm in the chaos 
loss of life. You'll love this uh, particular um, piece of literature. Now, look, guys, if you would like uh, this book, then all you need to do is to text us. We have had a number of people text us already, and thank you so much for making contact, uh, and thank you so much for the kind uh, comments that you do make as well. Um, our drive time number is 0488 808 80811 and uh, all you need to do is to text us the code uh, SA uh, 101. No gap between the SA and the 101, just five digits in a row. SA 101 and uh, that'll come through to our robot and uh, our robot, he'll make contact with you, get some information off you so that we can get this book to you in the fastest possible way. That book again Finding Calm in the Chaos of Life. Uh, the uh, drive time number is 04888 and folks, if you would like uh, to make a comment as well, please feel free to make a comment on that same number. Uh, we'd love to be able to hear from you. Um, and the code, of course, is SA101. Now, you are listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with Pastor Gary. And today, our co-host is Brenton Wilkinson. And Brenton has just moved into retirement after three years of ministering in the uh, Mount Gambia and uh, southeastern uh, southeastern, uh, uh, district. And all all five of them. Um, uh, This week, uh, we're asking, if God is all loving and all powerful, why doesn't he fix the problem of pain? And today... We're just simply asking, how did a perfect creation get so ugly? Now, Brenton, really appreciate what it is uh, that you've actually been sharing because you've taken us right back to the very beginning and you've suggested well, that God actually created a you know, a perfect world, but then uh, something happened. Humanity changed and everything changed. Does Scripture have anything else to say uh, about this whole dynamic? It does. Um, if we had another hour, Gary, which we haven't, we could talk about what happened at the flood, where we actually had a situation of decreation rather mm. than creation. We had decreation. When God makes a statement like, I am sorry I ever made man, yeah. I am going to destroy man and animals and birds and fish. Everything that I have created, I'm going to destroy off the face of the earth other than those who went into the ark, and we know the story of that. But moving on from there, um, Paul lived in a fairly interesting time. He did. He did. Uh, I've been to Ephesus. I've been to Corinth, some of the places that Paul went to. And uh, Paul makes some very interesting comments, particularly in the book of Galatians, and I'm going to refer to that now. He talks about the acts of the flesh. The acts of the flesh are the things that people do or are as a result of sin. That come from the very inside. from within. Okay. They're not just the externals. They're the, mo- the motivating factor always comes from the mind. Yeah. yeah. So this is what he says, the acts of the flesh. Now, they're, they're the things you observe. He says sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. I don't think he could have um, made it any clearer. Hello, if you practice these things, you will not be in the kingdom of God. Okay, okay. But uh, it's interesting that it's almost (laughs) not God that's excluding you. 
It's actually no, your it's actions yourself your actions that are, are excluded. In other words, what you're doing is choosing another master rather than the God of heaven. Mm. Well, Romans 12.2 says, as you know, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, what are the results of being transformed? Now, let's let, let, just pick up on that because I think that you're actually got something there that's this is really important because uh, as a result of uh, what occurred at the very beginning, humanity changed. Uh, that brought on the All pain and the suffering yes. uh, and the heartache and the disease that we actually experience Today. in this world. Mm-hmm. And yet, what you're now going to say is that there. That process can be reversed? It can be reversed. It's interesting. You may have read, there is a book around. Uh, I went to a course a few years ago, and I think you were at it, where we were told that you can change a habit in 21 days. Mm. Mm. Now, I'm not going to go there today, but let me share with you, having said Romans 12.2 says you need to be renewed by the renewing of your mind, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. This is what it says, the fruit of the Spirit, mm-hmm. love, Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Mm. So in other words, we've got the Apostle Paul here writing to the Galatians. He's contrasting the two things. He's saying the natural man has this, there's something has gone wrong within the heart. You know, I'm really interested that so many of the bad things in our world, people try to remedy by utilizing political solutions. Mm -hmm. And yet... He's saying it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue. In other words, until you can actually change the heart, you can't actually deal with the problem of pain, suffering, heartache and disease. So it's important to change major where it counts. The problem is that um, you can go to university courses or TAFE courses on anger management. Mm. I've I've associated with people who have been to anger management courses. Um, The problem is that it's still not addressing the issue. It's addressing the behaviour, but it's not addressing the issue of what brings the anger on in the first place. Mm. Uh, The fruits of the Spirit take that away. What is the third one? Peace, love, joy, peace. That's the third one. But then you go over to the book of Revelation where I think to finish our program, we should read this because – this is just so good. Now, th- th- now, this is really important what you're going to read here, Brent, because what you've actually got is in the book of Genesis, for those of you who may not be familiar with the Word of God, you've got the uh, this problem of a pain and suffering and heartache Sin. and disease yeah. enters during the first uh, uh, the first three chapters of yes. the Bible in Genesis. Yes. And but this then, is in the last two. This is the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, which is, of course is the last portion of the last book. You get you start to get some words being spoken yeah. that are transformative in their very nature. Just share them with us, Britain. I will. Just quickly, though, going back to Genesis, another thing that I failed to mention, but I would be remiss if I didn't say it on air, one of the major things mankind lost is direct association with God. Mm. After he sinned, God no longer came down and walked and talked in the garden. In fact, they were, to use a modern phrase, they were kicked out of the garden. Uh, But in Revelation 21, verse 3 and 4, it says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. Notice how the wheel has gone full circle. 
They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. I can't think of anything more comforting Mm. or more reassuring. Then comes these texts that you've heard and read yourself at gravesides, etc. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Do you realize that's a quote from the book of Isaiah? Mm. Mm. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Good news. Uh, that's, that's what we need to pass this, on to our. This listeners. is wonderful news, isn't it? Because to me, as I as I look at that, as I read that, I, I know that I've like yourself. You know, I've um, over the years, I've I've done some hundreds of, uh, of funerals, buried buried yeah, I'm people, sure you have, yeah. and uh, certainly shared at uh, uh, both graveside and in churches and in chapels. Uh, but you know, it's interesting the passages of scripture that you're able to uh, talk, and often it's the last few chapters of the book of Revelation, there'll be no more death. How interesting that at the very beginning of the book of Genesis, you get the introduction of death, pain, suffering, heartache and disease. All the other things. You get a remedy being put in place throughout the word of God and then in the last two chapters of the uh, book of Revelation, you get uh, the expulsion Um. The slate is wiped clean. Death and heartache and disease becomes no more. And folks, look, I would encourage you. Great if, news. If you have never read the last two chapters of the Bible, it's a wonderful place to start because it gives incredible hope. Um, do you like them, Brem? I do. And I would recommend that if they have a Bible, even if it's not a, what we call a translation, even if it's a paraphrase, it still puts it in very good language. Yeah, yeah. And to say that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more of any of these things, for the former things have passed away. Yeah, wonderful, wonderful. Bad but look, news at the beginning, good news at the end. We're going to dig into a few more and questions we'll concerning this particular subject over the next yep, little while. We will. Let's, we will. Uh, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Yep. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. We want to say thank you uh, for being the wonderful God who is acting now both in our world and uh, will work in the future to do away with hurt and pain and suffering and disease. Uh, Lord, I just pray that as we dig into this subject this week that your spirit will be with us. Lord, if there is anybody right now who is struggling uh, with this issue of pain and they've got a perennial problems they've got chronic issues i pray that you might be with them i pray that you might support them i pray that your peace might descend upon them we just ask in jesus name Amen. amen amen Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Brenton Wilkinson on Drive Time Big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Brenton rejoins us and we ask, does Satan, does Satan really exist? Sometimes he gets blamed. Let's look at it tomorrow. Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart and the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.